Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. I am Karan Bhatia. This is Ask the Experts. Thank you for joining me. We are coming off of the big heavyweight win for Anthony Joshua. He, of course, avenged his only loss, and that was to Andy Ruiz. He was able to have a much more technical style this time around. He was able to work behind the jab and get the decision. Afterwards, Ruiz came out, said he wasn't necessarily in shape, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Joshua trained extremely hard for this. He made the adjustments. He was able to move around. He was able to execute his game plan. And now Anthony Joshua can rest easy once again, knowing that he is the heavyweight champion of the world. He actually has three belts back. We all want to see Joshua face the Wilder Fury rematch winner and or loser. Any combination of those two, of those three, actually, I should say, would be great. But it doesn't seem like that is necessarily what's on the horizon. Joshua said Pulev is possible, Usyk is possible, and these are his mandatories for some of the belts that he has. So let's see what happens in 2020, but let's hope that we get one of those spectacular big heavyweight fights. So to break down this most recent win by Anthony Joshua, I have two legends in the game. First up, Larry Merchant. He was the HBO commentator. I worked side by side with him for many years, and he's a boxing historian, and he can break it down better than anyone else. We're going to talk about Anthony Joshua's win, his thoughts, his initial impressions. We're going to talk about Deontay Wilder. We're going to talk about the matchups that he wants to see. And, of course, if I'm talking to Larry Merchant, I had to ask him about the infamous moment where he told Floyd Mayweather, if I was 50 years younger, I would kick your ass. I asked him about how that came together, his thoughts on that, looking back on that now. We also talked about the other back and forths he's had throughout the years. He had uh, a charming back and forth with Bernard Hopkins, which got testy at times. I asked him about that. And if he misses calling fights on HBO and what he's been doing since. After that, I'm talking to another legend in our game. This time, it's one of the most accomplished boxing authors of our time. He's a Hall of Famer, and that is Thomas Hauser. He's going to place Anthony Joshua's win in history. He's going to tell us, in his mind, how Anthony Joshua would fare against Fury or Wilder. And you don't want to miss this. I'm going to get Thomas Hauser's official fighter of the decade. He's been thinking about this. He's been breaking it down. He's going to explain who his fighter of the decade is and why. And then we shift our attention to boxing coming up this weekend on Saturday, December 14th at Madison Square Garden on ESPN. We have Terrence Crawford going up against Mean Machine. Now, that is an interesting fight and no disrespect to that main event. But in my opinion, what's a much more interesting fight is the undercard, the co-main, I should say. And that is Teofimo Lopez, who's going for his first title win. Teofimo is 22 years old. He's been knocking everyone out. He's the sensation. He's going up against Richard Comey, who's actually 10 years older than him. Richard Comey is 32 years old. And I'm going to be speaking to both men, Teofima Lopez and Richard Comey. Now, my interview with Teofima, of course, I asked him about Comey and what he wants to achieve in the sport, but you'll want to hear his thoughts on Vasily Lomachenko. He doesn't respect Lomachenko. He says he's not a true champion. I'm going to ask him why he feels that way. 
And as I said, I'll be talking to the champion, Richard Comey, as well. After that, another fighter who's fighting on December 14th, and that is Mick Conlon. Now, Mick is actually trying to avenge a loss that he had earlier in the amateur ranks, and that is Vladimir Nikitin. That's who uh, Mick Conlon's going to be fighting, and there's a special significance to this fight because he lost in the amateurs. He felt like it was unfair, and now it's his chance for redemption. He's always loved uh, New York and the fans in New York, and and I'm going to talk to him about what that means to him to fight at Madison Square Garden. And finally, my last guest is Heather Hardy. She's the former featherweight champion. She just had her first loss, and that was to Amanda Serrano. But it was a gutsy performance by Hardy. She stayed up somehow in the first round. She made it to the bell. But the issues came up afterwards where she received a suspension. There was a fine by the New York Athletic Commission. So I'm going to talk to her about exactly what happened there. We're going to get her version of the events. And, of course, I asked her, uh, is she going to hang it up anytime soon? She's 37 years old. Um, What's next for her? So you're not going to want to miss my conversation with Heather Hardy. But with that all said, let's talk about Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz. Let's react. And like I said, we have a couple titans in the sport of boxing, two legends to break it down. And that is Thomas Hauser and Larry Merchant. Now, Larry Merchant, like I said, he called fights on HBO for over 35 years. It was my honor to work alongside him and my honor to interview him. So we're going to break down Anthony Joshua's big win over Andy Ruiz. I'm talking to Larry Merchant, and you're going to hear that interview right now. I am Karan Bhatia, and let's ask the experts. I am Karan Bhatia, lucky enough to be talking to Larry Merchant. You know he's a boxing historian, uh, boxing analyst for HBO Boxing for many years. Larry, thank you so much for joining me. So we just came off of the Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz rematch. And of course, we know that Anthony Joshua switched up his game plan. He was able to be much more technical, fight behind the jab and get the victory. What were your initial impressions of this version of Anthony Joshua? Well, I think he earned the highest marks possible. Uh, He devoted the six months between the first and the second fights to getting ready to fight the fight that could neutralize the opponent. Going into the fight, uh, my thoughts were, well, in the first fight, uh, one guy punched harder than the other guy and took his the other guy's punches better than the other guy took his. A simple equation. How does that change? And, and is it likely to change? Because changing here for a 30-year-old fighter is really, really hard. But Joshua changed. He took off weight. He went into being a boxer puncher instead of a puncher boxer, which is a big change. A change not just physically but mentally, emotionally. And to retain that change during a fight in which your opponent is trying to get at you, trying to duplicate what he did in the first fight and 
deal with all of that is something that is very rare in boxing, particularly for heavyweights. So, again, the highest marks. Uh, but also to go along with that, I think every trainer on the planet, whether it's a boxing trainer or a physical fitness trainer, took a deep, appreciative sigh watching that fight because the man who prepared properly, who saw the, the problem and solved it by working hard, by trimming down 10 pounds, beat the guy who put on 15 more pounds on top of his, his being overweight. He became an overweight, overweight champion who didn't know how to deal with his success. Um, so I have, I applaud Anthony Joshua and um, I hope Ruiz has learned a lesson um, in a number of ways. And that's that was my next question. You know, we know that Ruiz ballooned up in weight. He actually weighed in at 283 pounds. Most of his career, he's been in the 250, 260 range. He admitted to partying too much, uh, to buying houses, to buying cars, because he had just become heavyweight champion, and he wasn't training the way he should. Is that common uh, in, in boxing history that the underdog wins the fight, becomes champion, and then they're, they're partying and they're not training, and, and that can affect them negatively in the rematch? Well, in general, uh, we see very few longtime champions, uh, even those who have the ability uh, when on top of their game to beat everybody because it's hard. Um, and unfortunately, this kid yielded to all the temptations out there who suddenly wanted to embrace all of his world, friends, relatives, help them out, all well and good. But if it's done recklessly, uh, then you have the outcome that you had. And let me, let me uh, add one other thing. I've heard on pretty good, um, authority that he didn't take his cut man along with him because he offered the cut man a thousand dollars to go to Saudi Arabia and be in the corner. And the cut man said no, as he should have, as he did. Now, we can't say that that killed Ruiz in the fight. Although he got cut in the first round, it wasn't serious, and he made his way through. But I'm reminded of Tyson Douglas, as many have pointed out, the, the comparisons in Douglas going to pieces after that extraordinary performance that ended with Tyson on the floor um, and adding weight 
for the next fight with Holyfield and never being the same again. And he got out of boxing. He didn't really love boxing, but he made a lot of money very quickly. Uh, but what we all recall is that going into that fight, Tyson changed his corner. Different trainer, um, different cut man, guys who really had no capacity to deal with an emergency. Because Tyson felt as other fighters who suddenly come into wealth have in the past. I'm the guy in the ring. I'm the guy taking the punishment. Why should I now be giving 10% say to the trainer and it's 10% of $5 million? And then I have to pay my manager and then I have to pay this guy and that guy. And they start to squeeze. And that becomes a metaphor for the way you handle this sudden explosive pain and whether you can deal with all of that. Some guys are better at than others. There is, of course, the saying, more money, more problems, and that proved to be true here. Uh, with Ruiz and it, it happens to a lot of fighters when they get that sudden fame and those sudden bigger paychecks there's a lot more people trying to reach their hand in the cookie jar the uh, the entourages increase in size with, with Spence who I think is a terrific fighter the welterweight champion in a one car accident that may keep him on the sidelines for we don't know how long. That's another version of this story. Absolutely. That's that's not having the right people around you, the people to say, hey, why don't you get an Uber or a cab? Why don't you let me drive you home? He, he didn't have the right people around him, and he ended up driving under the influence, and we know what happened. He was in the terrible car accident, and, and we hope that he will come back uh, healthy. Hopefully, he can come back to boxing. So I wanted to ask you about, we talked about Joshua and Ruiz. On the other side of the coin, of course, is Wilder and Fury. So I wanted to ask you about Deontay Wilder first. Deontay Wilder avenged... Uh, uh, the first fight he had with Luis Ortiz. Now, he won the first fight, but there were some trouble, troublesome rounds, especially that round seven. Uh, so now he was able to uh, come back and, and knock out Ortiz this time in, in, in round seven. But he did fight a quote-unquote risky strategy. And what that was was waiting, being patient, and then finally uh, timing Ortiz. He, he used the left hand as a blocker to blind Ortiz and then, of course, landed the big right hand, we call it the great eraser because he knocked out Ortiz with that one punch. So my question for you is, is that Deontay Wilder's strategy, is that too risky to, to continue with, you know, waiting until the la until a, a certain moment to land the big right hand? Well, I don't think he has uh, the technique of uh, boxing. Um, that other heavyweights have because he got into the game late. Uh, to his credit, he found a kind of improvisational style that services him best, that allows him um, the luxury of 
using his power to compensate for whatever other shortcomings he may have. Uh, we saw against Fury the first time, which is an excellent fight, um, that basically he pulled out a draw in that fight with a knockdown in the 12th round. Uh, and that was a damn good fight. And I'm looking forward to the rematch. Uh, I'm expecting that, um, Wilder will prevail again. And maybe given the, the cast of characters on top of the heavyweight division now, maybe that will, um, catapult him into, uh, an old-fashioned, popular heavyweight champion who can punch and uh, end the fight at any moment. And you've seen so much boxing in your time, of course, uh, covering the sport for so many years. Is Wilder the biggest puncher that you've ever seen in boxing? I wouldn't say that. Um, you know, first, a, a big puncher uh, that sometimes... It goes up against styles in which the big punch doesn't matter because he can't land it. You know, if um, if if uh, the British guy Joshua were to fight him in the style he fought Ruiz, um, who knows if and when Wilder might land something formidable. So. Look, none of these guys are perfect, but they're all good or better than good fighters. They all want to fight each other and then maybe fight each other again. Um, so that's all good uh, for boxing and boxing fans. It is all good, and they all have their own different styles and their own different flaws, as you pointed out, which make them that more interest, much more interesting. So let me ask you this: we we now have we're back to the three-headed monster in terms of the top heavyweights. We uh, we have Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, and Anthony Joshua. If you had to guess, when we look back at this current era of heavyweights, who do you think will be the man that that stood out from the rest? Which guy is going to be on top in terms of this era? You know what? I don't know. Uh, Fury, for example, has had an episode in the past in which he had a, a breakdown. He became addicted. He put on huge amount of weight and so forth. Um, has he learned his lesson? Well, when he fought Wilder the first time, it appeared so. But we'll see. Uh, how this plays out for him because a six foot nine inch skilled boxer is something we've never seen in heavyweight fighting before. Uh, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm withholding judgment. I'm now a fan. Um, I don't know who's going to prevail in this. I do know that Joshua made an extraordinary impact in in Great Britain um, as a heavyweight champion. 
Um, they hadn't had one in, I don't know, centuries. <laughs> but, um, and he knew how to handle it, and he looked like the perfect portrait of what a heavyweight champion should look like. Um, so I think it's probably going to be him and Wilder, and I think that it looms as a big international event. And let's hope that that fight comes together, Wilder versus Joshua, or at least the Fury-Wilder winner versus Joshua. I think that's what everyone wants to see. It's it's not clear if it will, because right now Joshua is talking about his mandatories uh, with Pulev and Usyk as the next possible steps, but hopefully in the future. So I wanted to ask you, Larry, um, we're, we're getting to the end of the, the decade here, and I wanted to know if you've had any highlights or fighters that stuck out to you uh, in the previous decade. Obviously, Canelo Alvarez has been a standout in the last decade. Also, with your time at HBO, you, you covered the, the rise of the great Manny Pacquiao now, Pacquiao obviously had success in the first, uh, in the 2000s with De La Hoya, Hatton, and Cotto. Um, but in the last decade, he also had success uh, with names like Mosley and Marquez and Rios and Bradley. Uh, and he lost to Floyd, but then more recently he beat Keith Thurman. So he's also had a very successful decade. Um, I wanted to ask you, when you look back at, at the previous decade, which fighters stand out to you? Which moments stand out to you? What's memorable about the last decade? Whoa. <laughs> Uh, um, I don't know how to separate uh, everything in the decades. I and I'm not, uh, and I'm not good at, at that sort of thing. But um, uh, look, uh, Lennox Lewis was the best heavyweight of his time, the '90s. Um, the the 2000s brought a new cast, um, the Klitschko's. Uh, and certainly Pacquiao and Mayweather and, um, currently, uh, Spence and the heavy and, uh, Canelo and, uh, and, and Golovkin as well. Um, so the, the invasion, if you will, of the Russian fighters. And I would include Lomachenko and uh, Costa Zoo and many others. Um, has uh, enlivened boxing and brought us to this moment. 100% the Eastern European fighters have made a big charge, especially in the last decade. Um, so uh, the other fighter you mentioned was Mayweather. Mayweather recently came out and, and mentioned that he's actually going to make a comeback in 2020. It's not clear exactly what that will be. It seems like Dana White of UFC uh, will be involved. So let me ask you this. Would you be interested in seeing a Mayweather comeback in 2020? I guess I'd have to be interested. I'm not enthusiastic about it, um, but Mayweather is uh, in a class by himself as a pure boxer, and um, he's always in shape, and that would make him, you know, a threat to beat uh, a lot of guys. Uh, I'd love to see him fight Spence. Uh, it's expensive. It comes through his uh, recent travails. Um, 
but I don't think that that Mayweather is going to change uh, the one thing about him that is also um, a statement by him, which is that he's always been able to pick fighters um, as a as a as a great matchmaker uh, to fight, and there have always been fighters he knew were were not good for him. Um, so I'm not sure who that is. Uh, obviously Pacquiao, uh, would we want to see a fight between two guys who would be 85 years old between them? I don't know. Um, I'm not interested in seeing that fight again, by the way. Um, so you know what, um, Mayweather ain't on my mind. Uh, I would, if he decides to come back and he doesn't want to fight a girl from the MMA uh, ranks, I'll, uh, I'll see whether uh, my wife wants to go to a movie that night or dinner. <laughs> and of course, Mayweather was good at picking opponents, like you said. Uh, one of those opponents was Victor Ortiz. That was in September of 2011. And of course, I have to ask you, after the fight, you were asking Mayweather about what happened. Of course, him hitting uh, Ortiz uh, during a moment of when it seemed like Ortiz was trying to apologize. Um, and or, uh, Mayweather took offense to the question. You told Mayweather, if I was 50 years younger, I would kick your ass. Um, it was a great moment. So I, I just want to know, when, in your career do you look back at that moment fondly and also did you and Mayweather ever talk after that did you did you bury the hatchet or was that the last of it there well first of all my response was not just to that question my response was to him saying you don't know shit about boxing and HBO should fire your ass or, or words to that effect and that was personal and I counterpunched uh, intuitively and said what I said. Uh, and I, yes, he, we did um, get together and I, I, uh, before his next fight and he did say something about it or I said something about it uh, on the show. Uh, and I give him credit for that. Um, but uh, you know, my I'm constantly reminded about that, and for obvious reasons. Um, and my feeling is, you know, it may not have been a proper professional response in the ring when you're doing an interview, um, but it was a human response, and. So I accept that. It's a part of my my career and my life. Uh, I've had other incidents happen in the ring that uh, are more important to me. Uh, but I understand why uh, people bring that up to me constantly. Of course, you, you've been behind the mic for some of the biggest fights of all time on HBO. The other fighter that you always had a, a nice, charming back and forth with was, of course, Bernard Hopkins. Um, I'm just curious, when you look back at, at all the kind of back and forth and the post-fight interviews with Bernard Hopkins, do you, do you look back at those fondly, and, and do, you, do you miss those? I can't say I miss those, but I, I do look back on them fondly. Uh, 
And I had one back and forth off camera at a, at a fighter meeting um, that I don't look back upon fondly. Uh, that was an occasion when uh, Bernard, I forget who he, he was fighting, um, that middleweight from Arkansas. Um, the name escapes me at the moment again, but he was he was good for a short while, and he beat Bernard twice. And Bernard had um, broken down the different. Would that be Jermaine Taylor? You mean Jermaine yes. Taylor? Okay. He had broken down the different weaknesses of Taylor. And I said to him, well, what if his youth and his athleticism and his ambition and toughness, does that make up for all that? And he seemed startled by that question. And then uh, Emmanuel Stewart weighed in uh, on it. So, and he called Emmanuel uh, um, a... A name, and I said, I'm not going to sit here and let you insult my sidekick and friend. And I got up and walked out, and so the rest of the HBO. Now, here's the difference between how Mayweather handled it and Hopkins. That night, Hopkins won a fight, and in the interview afterwards, at the end of the interview, he said on camera. Larry, we have to take this show on the road. So there was a certain respect there, and I respected him. And I like Bernard Hopkins and what he made of his life, coming out of prison and so forth and so on. So, uh, you know, sometimes things happen in a long career. Most fights, it was just interviews and trying to find out what happened and why it happened and blah, blah, blah. But there are feisty characters out there and they've been punched, getting punched and punching for an hour and sometimes uh, things boil over. And I understand that that's uh, part of the program. Uh, and my my goal was always to A, to get some answers and, and B, to allow the fighter to show who he is rather than me as the interviewer showing who I am. And for the most part, I got away with it. <laughs> and you, you definitely did. Never afraid to ask the tough question. You always asked what we as observers and fans were thinking. Um, and I was lucky enough to work alongside you at HBO for a long time. And, and that was my honor. So to, to kind of wrap it up, do you miss uh hbo boxing especially when you look at uh the way that boxing's going now there's a lot more platforms there's more networks um the the the, the sport is fragmented now we know that certain partnerships uh, and certain cross promotions are happening but it seems like it is still very fragmented so do you miss hbo and, and what do you think about the current boxing landscape well first um hbo boxing had a hell of a run and um, and I feel good about being a part of that, uh, a part of a new network that was forging a different identity from mo most other uh, stations and networks and allowed us to 
be ourselves in trying to get the story and tell the story. Uh, that's unforgettable for me. That said, I think their timing in getting out of boxing was a little, a bit, a little bit off because now all these networks, ESPN, um, uh, Showtime, Fox, and DAZN, uh, have stepped up and stepped in and, uh, and fights, many of those fights that would have been on HBO. But so it goes. And, um, uh, I've got nothing bad to say about HBO, uh, because it was a, a good experience for me as a sports journalist. And you did commentate on HBO for, for over 35 years. And, and when you were asked about the, the end of HBO, you, you summed it up great. You said they were once a promising kid, then a challenger, then a champion, then a great champion, then a longtime champion, and then one who has been finally retired. Uh, and and you, you said so long. So you really summed it up beautifully there. So nowadays, what is life like for, for Larry Merchant? Um, how do you, how do you spend your time nowadays? You're obviously still an, uh, an, an interested observer in the sport of boxing. So, so what is life like now for Larry Merchant? Well, I am basically retired, but, uh, and I'm, uh, sort of a caregiver for my wife who is, I had some, uh, health issues and, on Saturday, I had half a dozen friends over for a, uh, an early afternoon fight from Saudi Arabia, uh, including including where Bill Kaplan, the famous publicist, and uh, uh, Charlie Steiner, who used, who used to do boxing for ESPN, and a few other friends who were boxing fans and one or two weren't, and uh, I do that occasionally for a big fight. I've got a captive audience that I can do my commenting for, and um, you know, I, I I have various interests, including uh, three delicious uh, grandchildren, and um, and and like that. I mean, I live in Santa Monica, California. And even when I try to think of, okay, where could I live next? I, I can't think of any place I'd rather be. Well, Larry Merchant, I want to thank you so much for the time. I want to thank you for entertaining us all these years, for always asking the tough question, the question that, that we were all hoping to get answered. Um, and, and I also really appreciate your perspective looking back at, at the heavyweight division and the fights of the last decade uh, and breaking it down for us. So, so thank you so much for the time. Well, thank you. And one of the greatest pleasures I had was knowing that the real journalists out there were getting information that they could use in their stories overnight. Cheers. And that was, of course, the great Larry Merchant breaking it down better than anyone else can in this game. 
he has some great stories, he has some great opinions, and he's always honest, and it was an honor to talk to Larry Merchant. So now we're going to go from one legend in the game to another, and I'm going to be speaking to Thomas Hauser. He is the preeminent boxing author of our time. He wrote The Black Lights. He's written so many uh, great boxing books, and he actually was recently inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame. So I wanted to get his perspective on Anthony Joshua's win. What were his initial thoughts? How will Joshua match up against Wilder and Fury? And like I said, we are going to get Thomas Hauser's official pick for fighter of the decade so without further ado here is my conversation with thomas hauser i am karen batia i am speaking to one of the most accomplished boxing historians boxing authors of our time and that is thomas hauser so thomas we just came off of anthony joshua's win in the rematch against andy ruiz we know he got knocked out uh, the first time Anthony Joshua did, and he was able to come back with a much more technical style, work behind the jab. So I just wanted to get your initial impressions. What did you think of this version of Anthony Joshua? Anthony did what he had to do to win this particular fight. My sense is that this style would not work against somebody like Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury. It worked against Andy Ruiz because Andy was always slow and plotting. And this time he was slower and more plotting and obviously grossly out of shape against somebody like Tyson Fury, who's a very accomplished boxer, also very, very large, bigger than Anthony. The style wouldn't work. And you can't fight Deontay Wilder like this, because if you fight Deontay like this, eventually he'll bang you with a big right hand. So, you know, if Anthony were to take either of those fights, he'd have to find something new in his toolbox to fight them with. But my sense is that he's not going to fight any of them time in the near future. He's talked about fighting Kurat Pulev, who's a fairly slow plotting opponent, and Alexander Usyk, a very accomplished boxer, but not a big puncher, certainly not Anthony's size. But look, Anthony did what he had to do. As Georgie Benton famously said, win this one, look good next time. And he, he was able to, to do that. He was able to get the win, but it wasn't the most appealing performance for a fan. You know, as fans, of course, we're always looking for the knockout, especially in the heavyweight division. L- let me ask you this. After the fight, Ruiz came out and said he didn't train as hard as he, as he could. We knew that because he actually ballooned up in weight. He came in at 283 pounds. He usually comes in around 250, 260. Um, part of that was because... He was becoming the heavyweight champion for the first time. He ended up buying a new house and cars and partying. And he didn't uh, take it as seriously as he could. Those are his own words. So how much credit do you give to AJ for doing what he did? and Or do you say that Ruiz actually didn't really show up in the way that he could have? Ruiz never trains as hard as he should. That's one of the reasons top rank let Andy buy his way out of his contract. Part of being a fighter is the preparation for the fight. It would be ridiculous to say that a fighter just gets into the ring and fights. There are months and months of hard physical work, preparation that go into getting ready for a fight. 
there's lots of study. You really have to look at it, not just from the point of view of getting your body in shape physically, but mapping out a strategy, a game plan. Anthony's a professional. He did what he had to do to get ready for this fight, and Andy didn't. So, you know, but, but, but what happened, happened. And we, we look ahead, as you said, Joshua will have a couple mandatories here. Uh, Pulev has been mentioned. Usyk has been mentioned. It's not what we want to see as fight fans because we know that we have Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury, hopefully hopefully in February of 2020, and we'd all love to see the winner of that fight uh, take on Anthony Joshua. Now, let, let me ask you this, something that, that you spoke about earlier. Let, let me just interject to say sure. I'd like to see the winner of that fight take on Anthony Joshua, or I'd like to see the loser of that fight take on Anthony Joshua. Either one of those fights would be massive. And my understanding is that once Wilder Fury 2 happens, there doesn't have to be an immediate rematch. Either or both guys can have one interim fight in between. So would I like to see Anthony fight one of those two guys? Sure. But I don't think he will. It doesn't seem like he will, especially with the plans that he's talked about for the next year. It didn't seem that way with his post-fight comments, uh, with Eddie Hearn's post-fight comments. It didn't seem like uh, the winner or loser in the, of that fight would necessarily be in their immediate plans. But just myth- just hypothetically here, let's say that Wilder uh, and Joshua did come together. I just wanted to ask you about something you mentioned earlier. We knew that Wilder had trouble finding Tyson Fury in their fight, and that's because Fury has that style where he moves around a lot. Now, me watching Joshua's most recent performance, I say he's moving around a lot, he's working behind the jab, he's fighting in a more technical style, and that makes me think that maybe Wilder would have trouble uh, trying to find that right hand. What do you make of that in terms of Joshua moving more if he was to fight Wilder? Well, two things. Number one, Tyson Fury, despite his size and the fact that he looks very clumsy at times in the ring, is probably more elusive than Anthony Joshua. And second, Tyson Fury appears to have a much better chin than Anthony Joshua. So let's see what happens if that mythical matchup uh, ever does come together. And and like you said, even the loser of that fight fighting uh, Joshua would be great. So I wanted to, to ask you, when we first spoke a while back, you mentioned that Anthony Joshua was being marketed as a rock star, which he definitely was. I'm curious to where do you place him now in history? We knew that he was the undefeated champion, he suffered the loss, and he was able to avenge it. And that's obviously happened to other heavyweight champions in history. So in your mind, do you see him still on that path of becoming a great heavyweight, maybe one of the top heavyweights of this era based on this this most recent performance? The bloom has come off the rose of Anthony Joshua. This was a very nice win for him and an essential win for him. And could he become a great heavyweight champion? Yes, but he'll have to prove it in the ring. To my way of thinking, none of the claimants to the heavyweight throne right now have proven themselves as great. So let's see what happens. Now, if, if Deontay Wilder decisively beats Tyson Fury and then decisively beats Anthony Joshua, then, then you'd look at him and you'd say, okay, he might be great. On the other hand, if Tyson Fury dominates Wilder in a rematch and, and beats Joshua, you'd give him credit. And if Anthony comes back 
and were to be Fury and Wilder, you'd say, okay, yeah, this guy is great. It was a blip against Andy Ruiz. You don't know. We don't really know what Anthony Joshua is. There are all sorts of hits now coming from the Joshua camp that, well, you don't know. Uh, Anthony had medical issues, I think they're referred to, or, or other problems before the first Ruiz fight. But you have to balance that off against the fact that if, if it was simply a question of Anthony not being physically right that night, he wouldn't have needed to go out and lose 10 pounds and completely retool his boxing style to fight Ruiz. So again, there are a lot of questions here. One of the problems we have today in boxing, and it's not just the heavyweights, is that fighters are acclaimed as great by press release. In the old days, you had to beat great fighters to be considered great. And fighting great fighters made you better. Sugar Ray Leonard lost to Roberto Duran, but he took what he learned in that loss to Duran came back and beat Duran in the rematch. And then he took what he learned in that fight and came back to beat Thomas Hearns. And he took what he learned from that fight and brought it to the ring to beat Marvin Hagler. By and large, the great fighters are not fighting each other. And we can see that by virtue of the fact that Terrence Crawford is fighting this weekend at Madison Square Garden. We don't know how good Terrence Crawford is because the elite opponents haven't been there for him to fight. My sense is that Terrence really wanted to fight Errol Spence. My sense is that Errol didn't really want to fight Terrence. Right now, Bob Allen would seem to want that fight. But again, we don't know how badly hurt Errol was in that car accident. You know, on the one hand, we hear, oh, he's recovered. He wasn't badly hurt. But I haven't heard any reports yet of, oh, Errol looks great in the gym. So one of the biggest problems boxing has today is that the elite fighters aren't fighting each other. I like the fact that Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury are getting in the ring to fight each other. I'd like to see Anthony Joshua get into that mix. I'm hoping Jarrell Miller, who would be a difficult opponent, in my view, for Wilder or Joshua, gets his act together and gets into the mix. My sense is that, uh, you know, Fury would probably outbox Jarrell fairly easily. But Jarrell, because of his size, his ability to take a punch, and the inexorable nature of his attack, would ask some very interesting questions of Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. Let's see the best fight each other, not just once every two years, but on a regular basis. That's a big problem with our sport, how fragmented it is, not just with promoters, but also with networks. And it seems like there's more platforms than ever now. And getting these, and, and also with the sanctioning bodies having different mandatories, and that we see that happening with Anthony Joshua right now. Let's hope that that gets resolved. So just to close it out, Thomas, I know that we're, we're getting to the end of the decade here. It's the last month. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you look at kind of this last decade in terms of boxing, you've covered it for a long time. Where does it rank uh, in terms of the last 10 years and any extremely memorable moments that, that stuck out to you? Well, the question I'm asking myself now is who should be the fighter of the decade? And nobody has really stood out in this decade uh, like, like 
some players did in previous decades. In other words, in the previous decade, you had Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather, and I gave the nod to Manny. In the 1990s, you had Roy Jones. In the 80s, you had Sugar Ray Leonard. In the 70s, Roberto Duran. In the 60s, Muhammad Ali. Before that, there's Rocky Marciano, Sugar Ray Robinson, Henry Armstrong, you know, Dempsey and Tunney, Jack Johnson. You can go back and back and back. And there were always one or more fighters who stood out as being deserving of fighter of the decade. Because the best haven't fought the best in the last decade, by and large, it's harder to make that decision. My personal choice would be Canelo Alvarez. Canelo has always been willing to go in tough. He lost once. As a young fighter without experience, he lost Floyd Mayweather. But he has beaten some very formidable opponents. And he's been willing to fight the tough fights. You know, he fights guys like Eris Landy Lara and Austin Trout, who people didn't want to fight. He fought Golovkin twice. He fought Kovalev. He fought Cotto. Again, nobody stands out in this decade like in past decades. But if you look at the other people who you might consider the honor, Andre Ward, great fighter. But his biggest victories in the Super Six tournament were in the previous decade. Vladimir Klitschko, biggest victories in the previous decade. Floyd Mayweather, really not that much on his resume for this decade. Gennady Golovkin didn't really beat elite fighters in this decade. Yeah, there's a school of thought that Golovkin beat Canelo in their first encounter, that Canelo won the rematch, and Canelo has more in addition to those two fights on his resume. So for me, it's a close call, but I think Canelo Alvarez should be the fight of the decade. It's certainly a good pick, and obviously what Canelo's been able to do transcending different weight classes and having success at different weights, um, and, and obviously having the win over Golovkin is, is a great feather in his cap as well. So just to close it out, last question for you. We talked about the previous decade. Looking ahead now into 2020, what is the... The, the matchup that you'd like to see most. We talked about Joshua hopefully fighting the Fury Wilder winner and or loser. We talked about Spence versus Crawford. Who knows what Spence's condition is now, if that fight will ever happen. Canelo Triple G was mentioned. So if you had a, a couple matchups or fights that you were particularly looking forward to in 2020, what would those be? There are lots of good fights that could be made. I'd love to see uh, Vassal Lomachenko against Trevonta Davis, for example. Do I think that will happen? No, it won't. But that would be a wonderful fight. There are other very, very good fights that could be made. But one of the things that disappoints me most about the infusion of huge amounts of money into the system in the last year because you have DAZN, ESPN, Fox, all pouring unprecedented amounts of money into the system, is in the old days, the big money was used to make the big fights. Now, the big money is being used to keep the big fights from happening. It is unfortunate that that the big fights aren't happening the way they should, and let's hope that we get those matchups in the next decade. Thomas Hauser, thank you so much for the time. I know your latest book, A Dangerous Journey Inside Another Year in Boxing, is out right now. I highly recommend uh, everyone to check that out. Thomas, thank you so much for your time and expertise in helping place uh, this Joshua Ruiz rematch in, in history for us. Thank you for having me. 
the great Thomas Hauser there breaking it down. I need to thank him so much for his time and uh, telling us that he is picking Canelo Alvarez as his fighter of the decade. That's certainly a good pick when you look at the resume. I was looking at uh, Manny Pacquiao's record because you think that he probably had a good decade, especially with what he did recently and taking out Keith Thurman, who was at the top of the division. But a lot of Manny's big wins, including De La Hoya, Cotto, and uh, Hatton, these were all in the decade previous. And that's why, uh, to Thomas Hauser, he's picking uh, Canelo Alvarez. Obviously, the same thing for Floyd Mayweather. He obviously had big wins in the last decade, but he thinks that the best parts of his resume were before this most recent decade. So now we are going to transition into this weekend's fight. We're going to talk to a couple people who are fighting this weekend in Madison Square Garden on December 14th. The card is on ESPN. Like I said earlier, it's headlined by Terrence Crawford. But to me, the most interesting fight is Teofimo Lopez, who's 22 years old. He's going for his first world title, and he is taking on always tough Richard Comey. And you're going to hear from both men. So first, let's start with Teofimo Lopez. And I'm going to get Teofimo's thoughts on Vasily Lomachenko. You don't want to miss that. He says he doesn't respect Lomachenko and that Lomachenko is not a true champion. So without further ado, here is Teofimo Lopez. I am Karin Bati. I'm here with Teofimo Lopez, the man. You have a big fight coming up December 14th against Richard Comey. Now, you laced him up for the first time at two years old. Yeah. And now, two decades later... You're going for your first world championship opportunity. What does that mean for you? It's, uh, it's a huge opportunity. I mean, it sounds it sounds like it's crazy. You know, like 20 years later, you, you, you know, you put on for the first time a pair of gloves and then this happens. You know, it, it, it's honestly, um, it's, a, it's a, a moment that you just got to cherish right there. You got to enjoy, you know, just the opportunity alone and then set aside when you win it. That's just the whole, the whole icing on the cake, you know. So you first put them on at you put put on the gloves at two, then you started training more seriously at six. That must have been a lot more serious. Mm-hmm. When did you first start thinking about world championships, and and you realize that that this is something you could actually do for a living and actually be good at? Once I hit my teens, once I started hitting my teens, I was like thirteen, fourteen. I started realizing I was like I could really. I could really take this to uh, another level, man. Uh, sparring with professionals and everything. Uh, at a young age, it was like you learn from them, and they teach you certain things that you didn't know in the beginning. And then you take that with you. And then as you get older, you're still in your teens. And then, yeah, man, I, I, it changed a lot, man. And honestly, I was um, I didn't believe I was going to get to this point. You know, we have a big... We have a thing, a lot of athletes, we, we dream big, but we're like, I'll get there one day, but you don't you don't think that you're going to get it right away. You know, you got to work hard, though. I mean, 17 years into this, uh, 20 years just around, surrounded by boxing, but um, it paved the way, man. And I got to say, man, thanks to God for everything, because none of this would be possible without him. You visualized it, you thought about it, and now it's it's finally happening. Law of attraction. Law of attraction. So you, so you manifested this, right? You yeah. made this happen. So Richard Comey, your opponent. Now, he's 10 years older than you. He's 32 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he, do you think he has that experience factor? Do you respect Richard Comey? Um, I respect the fact that he's a, he's a true champion. You know, he's a fighter that wants to make big fights happen. He's a fighter that, that it, he wants the competition, the best competition out there, and I respect that about him. Now, other than that, 
Uh, no, I don't respect him. Um, I respect him as he's a champion, two-time world champion for a reason. All the things that his resume shows, you know, and and everything, you know. Um, but I don't respect him going in that ring or anything like that. And you got to keep that always, man. Uh, we, we know each other. You know, we fool around, whatever. But this is my bread and butter just as much as it is for him. You know, he's defending his title for and for the second time. And he's going to bring his A game. I know that for a fact. And on December 14th, when you do take on Richard Comey, in terms of a technical fight, how do you think it's going to play out? Can you give us a little uh, prediction of how it's going to play out? Um, people think that, you know, this fight might, you know, this is like the main fight, you know, and no, nothing to bash with Crawford. Crawford is a hell of a fighter. To me, I believe he's the pound-for-pound pound, uh, number one in the rankings right now. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are really psyched about this fight. Richard Comey and Teofimo Lopez and it's just because we bring excitement to the sport man um, and it's just going to be a turnaround man I, I don't see this fight going to 12 rounds somebody's going to get knocked out and it's going to be good man it's definitely going to be a one to watch no, 100%. When this fight was announced on this card, I think a lot of people circled it and said, that's the fight I want to see. And you obviously have a good knockout record in New York. Now, your fight in the Garden in uh, April, you knocked out your opponent with the body shot. Then you had your most recent fight against Nakatini in um, July, yeah. right? And that went the distance. Now, you won most of the rounds on every scorecard, but... Did you hear the fans kind of chirping, like saying, oh, Teofimo, okay, now, you know, he's been exposed a little bit. Um, did you hear a little bit of criticism and negativity, even though you won most of the rounds? People going to talk. Don't matter. They're still watching. So, you know, you take, what, you take the good and the bad, and, and you take the bad with the good, and you just uh, move on from it. You learn from it. And I, I, that's the thing that I, I'm, I'm most happy about coming into this fight is the fact that, we make it look like a 50-50 fight. We make it look like we're the underdogs, if anything. Everything happens and it plays out the way it does. You know, and my thing is vengeance. I got this thing where it's like you talk this shit and people going to say what they have to say. They always going to talk. But this fight right here, why it means so much is not only I'm going to make history and become the first Honduran to ever win a world title or world championship in any of the sports that they ever done, but and bring back uh, a belt back to Central America and all the Latinos, but it's big because my whole my whole life changes from this point on, you know, And but you got to stay humble about things. You got to make sure that you don't forget the come up of how things were, and that's what I always bring to the table. That's what I always remind myself, and I'm truly, I'm truly blessed. I really am, and I'm excited about this, man. This, this definitely is going to, it's going to be an eye-opener for everybody. And obviously, Comey is a huge test. It's a world championship. Not to look ahead, but I'm sure you, you, you visualize things. You, you want to bring these things to reality. So looking ahead, is there anything, any opponent in mind? Obviously, we've talked about Lomachenko a lot. You mentioned Crawford as your pound-for-pound pound one. A lot of people have Crawford or Lomachenko one and one A. So would you, do you respect Lomachenko? Do you think he's at the, the top of the sport, and would you like to get a crack at him? Um... Uh, of course, a cracker him, yes. Of sh of sh like obviously, I am. You know, I've been I've been asking for it for a while now. You know, and, and it's not even about like asking to fight him for those reasons. It's just really I want to kick the guy's ass. Um, uh, you know, and I think that's the thing that he doesn't like about it though is the fact that I don't respect him. You know, everybody respects him. Everybody's like, oh hell, Lomachenko. But for me, I'm just like nah, bro. 
uh, I don't see it. You know, I just feel like honestly, the way he, why I don't like the dude is just the way he is outside of things. You know, um, I don't want to get into detail too much about it, but he's a champion. You know, when when the cameras on and everything, but I just feel like he ain't a true champion, a people's champion. You know, um, and you know, I hold that. I hold that. I don't like people like that, man. It's just always been like that with me. I always have that thing with my father. My father always brought me up to that stuff, man. Uh, I treat, you should always treat people uh, the way you want to be treated. And do you think, in terms of the opportunities that he's gotten, do you think he's earned those, or do you think a, a few of them were kind of given to him in a way? Nah, of course he earned them, man. I mean, he fought through all those fights, man. He earned all those. You know, um, we can't take away from that. I ain't going to bash him for all that, you know. I mean, he he's paved his way, you know, but... Hey, you know, in order to be the best, you got to beat the best, but I'm the best. So in order for him to be be the top dude, he got to beat me. Um, I always put that, man. I know I'm the best. And I think that I just want to make great fights happen for the fans, for the fight fans, because you guys deserve it. You guys come and you watch and you support, and you support us, you know. Uh, win, lose, or draw, you guys are there. So um, I'm just trying to make the best fights happen. I'm sure everyone wants to see that fight for sure. You versus Lomachenko. So, you're you're only 22 years old, and looking just looking ahead, what are your goals in the sport? Do you want to do you want to unify the division? Do you want to eventually move up in weight? What just looking way ahead? What what would you like to do in this sport? Uh, this sport, man, I'm just trying to change it up, man. I'm just trying to switch things up. Um, now, as if I, as for glorifying everything, it's just you know unifying, doing all the things that you can do possibly in the sport of boxing. But I want to make a difference in other things, man. Um, God didn't just give me a gift just to use it on myself, you know. And that's why I know, you know, um, I, He gave me a gift so I could give a gift back to to the community, to the people out there that that have the same dream that I have or the same goal or or a goal but in different things, you know. That's just my way of th- uh, thinking about things and doing things, man. It ain't about us. It's a, it's bigger than us. It's always going to be bigger than us, you know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be forgotten, not now, but 20 years from now, whatever. You know, uh, when I hang up the gloves, you know, we can't fight no more. But, you know, you leave a legacy behind. That's what matters. You know, you got to make sure you got to remind yourself about it. You can't be uh, narcissistic about it. <laughs> so you just got to keep your, keep your head, you know, keep your head screwed right because you see all the money and everything, it could, it could fool you. And you started this at two years old, like we said. Are you a lifer in this game? Are you going to go for a long time? Or, you know, fighter safety has obviously been in the news because we've had some recent tragedies. And there's been certain fighters, especially when they're young in their career, you know, like you are 22, they say, hey, I want to I hang it up by the time I'm 30. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a lifer in this. What's, what's your mindset on that? My mindset is uh, whatever God gives me in, in, in the sport. You know, I've been 17 years in, 20, 20 years um, just around, surrounded by boxing. Um, Whatever God decides and whatever, as much health he could give me doing this, that's that's how long I'm going to be out there. I don't know. my, I can't predict the future. I could say 10 years, 12 years, but God has his own plans for me. And, you know, as we can see, it's already it's already sh- shifting in my favor. You know, Comey, Lomachenko, uh, and the list goes on and on afterwards. You know, I just I go by God's uh, God's time and I go by his uh, his guidance. And that's really it. And I take it with that, man. You can't, life is too short. You never know when you could go. Especially, I mean, four guys, some of Dadovich, Patrick Day, may they rest in peace, man. It sucks, man. It's, it sucks to hear it. It sucks to see it. It sucks to be involved in it. 
not personally, but just to know them, you know, it, it sucks. Uh, people don't understand, man. It's it's a tough sport, man. It's and and it's the reason why it's the toughest sport in the world. Does it make you question at all what what you do for a living when you see what happens with with Patrick Day nah. and Dadashev and others? We signed up knowing damn well what the pros and cons was into this, and that's for every athlete that does combat sport. You should know. Each and end. I think that's the only thing I could respect Richard Comey for is, you know, we're going to go in there and we're going to fight. We're going to dug it out. You know, in uh, every fighter that goes in the ring, I respect you for facing me. I respect you for going in this ring because it takes a lot of balls. You know, it takes a lot of cojones. <laughs> um, but overall, man, it, it, it's tough, man, but we signed up for it. We know how this is, man. It's been about like 80-something deaths in sport of boxing. Uh, you know, probably more. I could be, I could be wrong. You know, boxing has been going on for a long time. You know, for centuries. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, you just try to make the best of it and just try to leave a mark in the sport of boxing, in the sport, in the world too. And your chance to leave a mark next is Richard Comey on December fourteenth. So. Last question, just to wrap it up now. When you win, we see you do the flips. We see you do the Fortnite celebrations, right? So can you give us a little preview of, of what's going to happen on December 14th when you win? December 14th is Heisman Trophy Night. So expect the Heisman Heisman pose. Expect uh, different celebrations. Expect um, a dance. Just expect all of them, man. Backflip, always. Always the backflip. Always, you got to know that I'm always going to bring my backflip. And, uh, you know, I'm still in the works of making ideas and making some plans and, and figuring things out. But it will get it all sorted out for fight night. Um, December 14th on ESPN Live after the Heisman Trophy ceremony uh, and awards. And um, tune in, man. You guys definitely, definitely going to have a good show, man. December 14th, Teofimo Lopez versus Richard Comey. It's on ESPN. You don't want to miss this one. The always honest, uh, charismatic, brash Teofimo Lopez. He usually wins by knockout. You usually see him doing a big uh, celebration in the ring, a flip. I know that this fight is on the same night as the Heisman, so you may see a Heisman uh, type of celebration for Teofimo. Let's see what happens. So on the other side of the coin, his opponent, who is... 10 years older than Teofimo, and that is Richard Comey. Richard Comey, 32 years old, Teofimo, 22 years old. Now, that age difference uh, may not matter. They're still both relatively in their prime, and Richard Comey is the champion. But what is his perspective on Teofimo Lopez? Does he like Teofimo, right? Teofimo's obviously brash, as you can hear. He's confident. So what are Richard Comey's thoughts, and what is his game plan against Teofimo Lopez? So here's my conversation with Richard Comey. I am Karen Bhatti. I'm here with Richard Comey. You're fighting on Saturday against Teofimo Lopez in Madison Square Garden. So you're 32 years old. Teofimo is 10 years your junior. How important is the age difference, you think, in this fight? <laughs> well, for that, I mean, I get in the ring most of the guy that I'm older than, so it doesn't really, as far as my body is right, I feel good, and I train, so it is what it is. That's it. And how has your preparation for this fight been? We know that you've been on a winning streak recently. Uh, you had the two losses in the past, and you kind of learned from those. So how's training been, and how's camp been for this fight? Uh, it's always good. You know, I always train hard, and everything has gone on the way we plan and the way the head coach plans. So it's all good. No issues. Everything is fine. So just can't wait for Saturday. 
And what do you think about your opponent, Teofimo? He's obviously, he's got a little swag, he's, he's kind of a big talker. What, what do you make of him as, as a person? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a quiet guy and this is the way I am. So for me, you know, he's also, this is the way that he is. So I don't really, I don't really think about that, but that's him. You know, everyone has got his different style and that's, this is me, this is my nature. So I don't really care about what he's that or what, you know, it doesn't really uh, matter to me. And have you been watching film on him? What's what's your game plan against Tiafima? Um, man, this is it. The same way I've been doing just to get the wins is the same thing I'm gonna do come Saturday night. You're originally from Ghana, but now you live in the Bronx, so this is a home game for you. But he's from Brooklyn, so it's a battle of, of New York in a way, right? Yeah, I trade in Brooklyn. I live I live almost, I spend uh, most time a day in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn is where I train. So I'm Brooklyn too. You understand what I mean? So there you go. So it's the Battle of Brooklyn now happening in MSG. So you've obviously had success in boxing, but this is this is a big stage. It's Madison Square Garden. It's on ESPN. So is this extra special for you? Is the preparation even more than normal f for this fight? Yeah, it's always been strong. It's always been good. And, you know, this is it. <laughs> And in terms of the build-up to this fight, a lot of people are talking about Teofima going for his first title, right? It's it's feels like people are talking about that more than you're defending your title. Have you noticed that at all? Does that bother you at all? Yeah, I've noticed. But I mean, this is it. I mean, I'm always be on the on the undercard since be on the uh, B side since since I started boxing. So it's nothing new to me. Yeah. And not to look ahead of this fight, but what are your goals in this sport? What do you hope to achieve? On a B, on this, on the, uh, I mean. Pfft. Gonna be uh, one of the best that Africa has ever produced and Ghana has ever produced. Thanks so much. Richard Comey is fighting on Saturday night, December 14th, on ESPN against Teofima Lopez. It will be the battle for Brooklyn in Madison Square Garden on Saturday night, December 14th. Also on that card is Irish Mick Conlon. Now, he actually has a uh, very important meaning to this fight. There's an emotional attachment, and we're going to talk about that with Mick Conlon. So here is my conversation with Mick Conlon. I am Karen Batia. I am speaking with Ireland's own Mick Conlon. Mick, how are you doing today? I'm good, brother. How are you? Good, good, good. Thanks for, for chatting with me. So we know that you have your fight coming up on December 14th at Madison yeah. Square Garden. And it's again against what we could call, I guess, your arch rival. And that is Vladimir Nikitin. He's 3-0. He's from Russia. So what's the backstory between you and Vladimir? Yeah, we faced each other, you know, a few times in the amateurs. And, and then he controversially beat me uh, in the Olympic Games. Um and then you know that's the every I had a reaction where everybody seen I flipped the bird to the judges and and the whole world took notice. So um, yeah, it was it was a, a fight I believe I won very clear and unfortunately due to corruption behind the scenes, it didn't go my way. And you felt like you definitely beat him in the amateurs, and then you were on live TV, right? And and you kind of made a stink about it, which you should yeah. have, um, and that kind of went off, and that's that was kind of the notoriety, and now. Uh, you have a chance to avenge that, and you're going to take him on in the professional ranks, right? So, have you been waiting for this fight for a while? I have, you know, it was announced kind of that happened in August, the Belfast, but Vladimir and got Nikitin uh, got injured, so it kind of got put off, and I didn't think it was going to be a possibility then. But fortunately enough, you know, he he says he's ready for December fourteenth, and 
And I don't believe he will be ready when he steps into the ring. But it is a fate I believe I won very clearly. Um, and this is my chance at redemption. And you felt that you won it clearly. Um, what, so what exactly do you think was going on? You know, I, I, heard, I heard you come out against cheating in the amateur yes. ranks and corruption. So what, what exactly did you think happened there? Yeah, well, there was a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, actually just announced in the last few days that all 36 judges and referees which were used in, in, in the Rio Olympics are banned from the Tokyo Olympics. So uh, it's finally kind of came full circle and my reaction and, and words were justified. Um, I'm happy with it. You know, I, I've made peace with what happened. Um, December 14th will be the final nail in the coffin of this story. Um, and I'll be able to, to move on with my career. And you're coming back to Madison Square Garden. Obviously, you've had success here in New York. I, I believe you fought here five times before. So has MSG kind of become the home away from home for you a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. I know I know it's a bit weird. An Irish guy, you know, how saying his home is MSG, but it is. Um, they've took me in like one of their own. They treat me so well, and they do a lot for me. So I'm very, very grateful to be a part of that MSG family. Um, most of my fights was there. My pro debut was there. I've headlined St. Patrick's Day three times. I've sold out the theatre a few times. Um, you know, it's it's a special, special place for me. And it it kind of makes the whole Vladimir Nikitin saga come full circle as that's where I restarted my career after the Olympics. And that's where I'll end this story. Yeah, you're you are first professional fight. I'm, I'm just looking it up here. Madison Square Garden in March of 2017, like you said. Uh, so it kind of does come come full circle now. You must also enjoy your time in New York. Are there a lot of good uh, Irish pubs that you can visit and, and take? There's plenty. Fights? There's plenty. There's an Irish pub on every single corner. Um, I love the food in New York. I love the vibe in New York. And, you know, it's a special place around Christmas time, which it is. I'm a big Christmas buff. So you know, I'll be uh, I'll be enjoying some Christmas festivities while I'm there after after the fight. Are you gonna go to to Rockefeller Center, look at the tree, do all the touristy yeah. Christmas things? Yeah, you, you have to, you have to. It's New York, baby. You know what I'm saying? And so for this fight, uh, you're training with Adam Booth. Um, so how how has the training camp been, and, and how has that partnership been uh, been working with Adam Booth? Yeah, I've been with Adam now almost two years, um, and this went really well. I feel I've improved dramatically as a fighter, um, and the training camp for this fight has been fantastic. My sparring has been you know, very similar to the style that Vladimir Nikitin has. I've had former world champions in sparring and stuff, and everything has been going to plan. Um, I know everybody says they've had a great training camp, but... You know, we are, what is it, three to four weeks out now, and, and I really have had a great training camp so far, but, you know, we've still got another way to go yet, so um, everything is going good. We're on track for uh, to be in fantastic shape on, on, on fight night, and, you know, I believe it will be. And you, in your career, you know, you're only 28 years old, so you still have a long way to go. Um, what, what's, what are your goals in this sport? I mean, uh, do you want to go for a world title? Do you want to unify titles? Do you want to move up in way? What's, what are your goals? Yeah, my goal, which I set out before I turned professional was to be Ireland's greatest ever boxer. Um, you know, and, and the amateurs, uh, and, and, and certainly in the, in the, in the male side of things, cause Katie Taylor is probably untouchable in terms of achievements, but uh, on, I was Ireland's first ever male world champion. I won everything every gold medal you could win in the amateurs bar the Olympic gold. Um, so I just got to go and, and win everything and, and, and do, f do a few divisions in the, in the 
in the professional ranks, and uh, hopefully I could become that. And I don't want to overlook your opponent here because obviously there's there's some uh, you know unresolved situations yeah, there, and you're right. going to be looking to this fight. But is there any kind of dream fight, dream opponent that you really want to get your hands on? Anyone in particular? No, it's just I will be world champion, and yep. when my opportunity comes and I fight for a world title, I will grab it with both hands and I will become a world champion. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. But first, you know, I have you know I do have um, an emotional. Uh, attachment to this fight, and there, there is going to be a lot of uh, main games being played, and you know I've got to remain calm and, and focused on on the job at hand. Absolutely, and and that will be a, a tough test, especially because of the emotional uh, attachment that goes to this fight. So yeah. you mentioned becoming Ireland's greatest male fighter. Of course, yeah. I have to ask you. Uh, I know that you and Conor McGregor at a point were close. He walked yeah. you to the ring, and then there was a little bit of a, a falling out. So are you guys? What's the situation? No, there was there was never really a falling out. I, mean, I have never fell out with Conor. Um, I still think he is, you know, an unbelievable talent in, in, in the MMA world, but. I don't know. There's no. There's no problem. I don't think he liked when I says the Floyd would have beat him, but I'm a boxing guy. I'm uh, and Floyd. I don't think Connor kind of liked it. I know because he's a very uh, self-belief kind of guy and doesn't like any negative energy towards anything. But I was asked about um, the Floyd fight and, and I picked Floyd, so I don't know if he was happy or not with that. He never said anything or never said he wasn't happy. So um, I'm not sure if he was or not, but. Uh, I haven't really spoke to him since then, so I could kind of say that was, but um, never fell out. I have no 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 ill feeling towards the man. I think he is a fantastic um, sports person for Ireland. And you know, obviously, you picked Mayweather. Mayweather ended up knocking him out, so yeah. that was the the correct yeah. correct pick. Um, and, and it seems like you were you were picking with your brain there, not your heart. And I think that, that that's that, that was okay to do. Um, yeah, of course. If if I was to pick uh, uh, Connor in a boxing match, you know, the boxing world would probably laugh at me. So you know, there's no uh, there's no win. there wasn't a, a win win situation. Um, if Floyd was to step into the cage, Connor will would take his head clean off his shoulders. So it's a completely different sport. One hundred percent. If if Floyd came into MMA, I think Connor. It would be easy work for Connor. Yeah. Um. We've heard, and I don't know if you've heard anything. We've heard Connor will be coming back in January, hoping to fight three times. Do you have you heard anything about that? Are you excited to hit? No, I haven't heard anything. But I've just heard kind of the the kind of thing everybody else is hearing the same time. Um. January apparently, and and yeah, it's exciting for him to come back into the MMA world. You know, I think he really is the star which they need. Um. You know, he generates the most revenue, he makes the most noise, and most people want to watch that guy because, you know, he can talk to talk, he can walk to walk, and, and, you know, it's something that everybody loves to see. And you mentioned that it's not like you guys had a falling out, you just haven't spoken, which makes sense. Do you hope to at least uh, have a better, you know, closer relationship in the future at some point? It's not. I don't mind. I'm. I'm, I'm happy the way I am. I'm sure he is happy the way he is. I'm sure if we ever seen each other, we would chat and be around. There's no problem. I don't think there's any. Uh, there's any uh, animosity between us. So, um, yeah, it's. It, it won't be a problem. I don't think. And 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 kind of changing subjects. I know that you've been uh, outspoken about PED usage and and yeah. Um, and I wanted to know y- your thoughts on that. Obviously, that is a huge problem uh, in our sport. So, what are what are your thoughts on PED usage? Yeah, I think. You know, I, I seen Ram Martin was banned for four years um, for using, I think it was a pre-workout apparently. But, you know, you have to be accountable for what goes into your body. And, and, and if he has taken it unknowingly, you know, he's got to find a way to prove it. They can't 
maybe less than his ban, but if he can't prove it, that's what should be happening. Four-year bans and lifetime bans should be happening for people. You know, I don't, I don't understand how someone like Jarrell Miller, who who failed for three different substances, can get a six-month ban, and, and and Rand can get um, a four four-year ban for for pre-workout. So um, I do agree with with the lengthy bans, um, but. I think something more needs done about other people and higher profile people because people seem to be getting away with it. You know, they, they seem to pick and choose when people get banned and how long they get banned for and, you know, the consequences of, of doping for different types of people, who brings in more revenue, who doesn't. Um, it, it's disgusting, man. I, it's a major problem in the sport. Um, what can we do about it? I don't know, but I think that in the immediate future what needs to kind of happen is everybody who's ranked maybe in top top 15 top 25 of, of every governing body should be on 365 day per year doping you know what i mean dope, dope testing i mean not actual doping i don't i don't want no one doing that i don't condone that shit but yeah i would i would hope for you know random testing to be happening 365 you see ufc have kind of cleaned up cleaned up a little bit with it, what was going on with them because they had a bad problem but and i think boxing and the claim that we're in on boxing, you know, I think this is the probably the best boxing has been in a long time. The money go, coming through boxing in all divisions, it seems to be really, really good at the minute. So why not start to invest in the health and the futures of fighters rather than, you know, uh, keeping people protected when they're uh, champions and, and not testing them because they could be on substances. So um, it's it's a it's a mad, mad game. Um yeah with with the doping stuff and and you know it's it's an embarrassment of boxing that much people get away with this kind of stuff so we we should absolutely really give a fuck about it it really pisses me off so i don't like the like anybody who dopes you know it's it's simple as that if you if you dope you're an asshole you're a scumbag and you're taking people's life you know uh you have you have a possibility of killing someone um, even though anybody who gets in the ring has a possibility of killing their opponent or, or, or themselves, but like, you know, this is a, it's a dangerous sport and, and any kind of illegal advantage is very, very, uh, inhumane. It, it really is. And I, I agree with you that I think we should have, uh, VADA testing 365, uh, all year round. Um, especially like you said, if you're ranked top 10, top 15, that should, that should definitely um, happened. What did you be think? Mandatory. That shit should be mandatory for top 10, top 15 guys. Exactly. I don't think there should be yes or no's or I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to say anything right. It should be everybody has to do it or you're not being ranked or you're not fighting for titles or you're not a champion because, you know, I know from the amateur game, um, I was tested tons more than what I've been tested as a professional. Really? Amateur game, you're saying up the, the world anti-doping um which is the whole the whole world so anywhere you go you gotta you gotta be filling in where your whereabouts are for every single day of the year and you can get tested randomly at any time and you have to know every single substance on the bond list what you're putting in your body um even if even if you don't you, you have to like even normal like painkillers and stuff you gotta check if you're able to take those because right. some things could be could could have substances in them which you don't even know and uh you take them and then you're going oh well i only took this but you need to know it's your own fault it's all on your shoulders and that's 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 the way it is that's what it should be that that is how it should be one universal body controlling it all and and those kind of practices throughout the sport not just state by state not just country by country so 
Uh, we were talking about Jarrell Big Baby Miller. You weren't happy with his situation. What about uh, Canelo Alvarez? You know, he tested um, for clenbuterol many years ago, said it was tainted meat, and then he was able to come back after, I think it was about six months. What did you think? Do you yeah. deserve a, a longer suspension there? I think anybody, clenbuterol and stuff, and, and the kind of stance now WBC has taken on it, um, with like saying they'll give Mexican fighters leeway because there is you know, tainted substances in the meat, and if you're under certain amount of levels, um, you know, you, you'll get away with it, but I don't agree. I think, you know, these kind of guys need to know where they're taking, especially Canelo, he should have his own farm and his own fresh meat and his own his own cows where he's having his beef from, whatever, um, not, and not knowing, and knowing where all the meat is from, you know, he's, he's knowing that his substances are always going to be clean or his meats are going to be clean because, he has that type of money. He's, he's able to do it. I know every other fighter's not able to do that, but he is. Um, but the WBC stance on it, um, they're really on a slippery slope, I think, because it's opening the door for a lot, a lot of people with a lot of excuses and a lot of kind of uh, loopholes to go through to get away with things uh, which are illegal. And it goes hand in hand with, with PED use, and that, that's trying to make the sport safer and I, I've been trying to advocate for that um, I'm just I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on fighter safety you know we've had five uh, boxers die just this year we've had more in MMA um, so do you think there should be any changes made in terms of the rules or or the weigh-in um, you know obviously we need to change the culture and, and yeah. education but in terms of the rules or, or protocols do you think anything should be changed um you know, I, people keep saying about same-day weigh-ins and stuff. I think that makes it worse. I think same-day weigh-ins will be a worse because all that will do will means people will deplete themselves even more than what they're already probably depleted. And they have less time to rehydrate, which means less fluid around the brain, which means quicker concussions, which means quicker knockouts, which means quicker brain injuries. It's it's crazy. So I don't think same-day weigh-ins are the answer. I think that I think that's a bit stupid. Um Maybe, you know, more regular weight checks throughout training camp to make sure they're not, you know, killing themselves and doing like, you know, 30 pound the, the week of a fight or 25 pound the week of a fight. Right. You know, you shouldn't, shouldn't be doing things like that. That's crazy. Um, and I know in MMA, that's kind of the case always. They're doing big, big numbers in, in, in their weight cuts. But um, in boxing, what can we do? The first thing I think is is the doping, you know, the, the the random testing, you know, for like mandatory for top twenty, top fifteen fighters. Um, what else can you do? I don't really know. I, I haven't really actually thought into it that much. Whether it's you know people need to you, you need to wear bigger gloves or or you know I don't know. If, it's very hard for me to say. I don't, don't I don't really know what we could do. But you know, obviously, there's going to be a lot of smarter people than me who could who could sit down and, and think of things you know people who know about health people know about brain do all this year and, and go through what was what is the best way to do this but you know, i don't feel i'm in a position that they call those shots yeah, that's what i've been saying that a group of people should come together we need to look at data we need to have a lot more research and we just need to have a lot better universal protocols and what i mean by that yeah. is when a fighter gets hurt we need the the, the same protocols in every state every country in terms of a doctor yeah checking him out so I, th I think as well you know a lot of it needs to come down the trainers needing to understand you know ab about things like concussion and, and things like that because you know you see a lot of guys who, who spar consistently 
Um, and that's probably where most of their damage happens. You know, they probably get wobbled in spawn and then they're spawning again on Friday. It's, you know, they'd just be concussed and they're going to get concussed. They could possibly get concussed again, you know, and then they go into the fight with like a, a concussion, which has just happened, you know, and that's where damage can happen. So I think, you know, it, it kind of, trainers need to kind of be brought in on this and, and kind of taught and, and how to spot this and how to spot that, you know, having maybe seminars on, on, on learning things about that. Um, because some trainers, I'm not saying all trainers, but some trainers don't have a clue. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, pe- people need to kind of update their own information and all. No, that that's really, uh, that's really smart. You know, we're talking so much about tra- changing protocols in the actual fight, but to your point, yeah. a lot of damage can happen in training camp, especially if you're training and sparring every other day or training every day. So that that's a really good point. So just to wrap it up, uh, we know that you have your fight on December fourteenth. Yeah. Uh, your your opponent Vladimir uh, Nikitin. It, it, there's some bad blood there, like we said. So, can you give me what what would be your official prediction for this one? Is it going the distance? Are you going? It doesn't to- go past seven rounds. It does not go past seven rounds. And you are sticking to that. You're going to knock him out before 100%. seven rounds. I'm going to take this guy. This guy's got to. You know, uh, pay for what happened in real, even though it wasn't him personally. You know, uh, I've got to, I've got to take it, take it into the judge's hands, and I will punish him over seven rounds. And so, if this goes to a decision, you won't be happy with your performance, then. You know what? I'll be, I'll be happy as long as I win. I'm not going to say I won't be happy because no matter what, I'm going to put on a great performance. Um, I know he's a tough guy, but I believe I'll take him out on in, in seven rounds. And just to close it out, what's your final message to your supporters from Ireland, your fans who are going to be watching you on December 14th? Thanks always for the support, guys. You know, it means means an awful lot to me. Uh, my, my support has been fantastic from the start. You travel far and away to watch me. So, um, you know, I'm very, very grateful. And thank you as always. And tune in or be there December 14th, Madison Square Garden, to see Redemption. Mick Conlon, thank you so much for the time. Best of luck on your fight. December 14th, it's on ESPN. It's at Madison Square Garden. Mick Conlon, best of luck to you in your career. Thank you, bro. Out with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Mick Conlon wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's very opinionated. He's very honest. And I want to thank him again for his time uh, breaking it down there. So my last guest of this episode is Heather Hardy. She's the former champion. She just had the loss to Amanda Serrano. It was a very gutsy performance, but there was, of course, afterwards the suspension, and there's been there's been a back and forth, and there's been a, an appeals process. So I wanted to ask Heather what exactly was going on there, and I'm going to ask her what does she have left in this sport? She's 37 years old. She's tried MMA. She's tried boxing. She's obviously had a lot of success in boxing. Does she want to keep going? So we're going to talk to Heather Hardy uh, about what's next for her in her career. Here is my conversation with Heather Hardy. I am Karin Bhatia speaking with former featherweight champion Heather Hardy. Heather, thanks so much for speaking with me. So obviously you've had such a great career, uh, so many big wins. Um, but most recently, unfortunately, it was the loss to Amanda Serrano um, in, in September. I know that you said when you first started winning fights, it was like drugs for you. It was such a great feeling. You've had some time to reflect on the loss now. So how, how are you feeling now about the loss to Serrano? Um, I feel fine. Life goes on. It's work, you know, it's a job. And um, I'm okay. 
and you made it through that first round. That, that was a really tough first round. It seemed like they may even stop the fight. I know that there's no moral victories in boxing, obviously, but, but do you take some pride in the fact that you were able to stay up in that first round and, and, and make it all the way through the fight? Not really. I know how tough I am, and leading up to the fight, like, it was no secret that Amanda was better than me. You know, everybody knew that I wasn't on her level, you know? Um, but I knew how tough I was, and everybody who worked with me and trained with me knew how tough I was, and that was that was my strength going into the fight. I really thought I'd be able to put enough together to get the win, so it doesn't feel like a victory, because that's exactly what I expected myself to do. And also what emerged after the fight and i obviously wanted to get your take on the situation your side of the story um there was the suspension or or what was rumored to be a suspension by the nysac um for the diuretic i i, I believe that you and your team were appealing that so i just wanted to get the whole story from you sure i mean it's real simple like i signed up for vada like 10 days before the fight and in my mind it was like okay no drugs duh i don't take drugs you know and um, it was my fault that I didn't look through the list or the procedures and all prescriptions had to go through VADA and I didn't get the clearance for it. And the truth of the matter is like, look, people are online like diuretics, mass steroids. Like when you have a baseball player, that's a man taking diuretics, it's like, okay, a basketball player. Okay, I'm a female. Women get their period that we will gain five and six pounds overnight. I'm in a weight based sport. I took it like three or four days before my weigh-in. I mean, it's no secret that I struggled to make weight. Just a, a month earlier, I didn't make weight. And this was the biggest fight in my career. So I, I took a diuretic, didn't clear the prescription with the board. I told the tester that I had taken it, like, because she asked, have you taken any prescriptions? I said, of course, I've taken this. So at, at this point, I feel like the athletic commission... It's almost like I park my car in, in a no parking zone and they're giving me 20 years in jail. You know what I mean? They don't want to hear anything from me. So they've been really, really awesome and helpful. And we're pretty much like, well, this isn't going to have to go to court. We'll be able to settle this. So it's matter just get my attorney and me in there to bang it out. Like the WBC came back and said the same thing. Like, we have to give you a suspension for you didn't follow the rules, but, you know, it's, it's no, I, I wasn't doing steroids and nobody thinks that. And so just, <clears throat> just to be clear, you disclosed it to the people you were speaking with, but was it that, you know, they said in, in, in the statement that it had to go to the therapeutic use exemption, the TU, yeah. right? So it's basically, you disclosed it in conversation, but it didn't go through the, the proper channels, right? Is exactly. that Exactly. And, and that's like my neglect, right? Like I've had 26 professional fights along two different sports. I've never done this before. It was 10 days before my fight. I'm selling tickets, making weight, getting training. I mean, any female fighter will tell you. That you start getting cramps close to to the way in, it's like, oh my God, God, please, and you're like praying to God, please don't do this to me. Because any, I mean, I've missed weight, I, like woke up on weigh-in day, like six pounds over. I mean, it's, it's terrifying, but a woman's body does different things. I have a kid, like my body completely changed. I'm almost 40 years old. Like, like I, I was wrong because I didn't check the procedure, you know, and, and that is what we're kind of banging out with them. So it was simply the procedure um, that, that, that went wrong there. So what I read was six months suspension and a $10,000 fine. Is that is that accurate? Is that the situation right now? Yeah, that's what they had said. Like apparently they had um, – I thought that they had leaked it to the press person and was like mortified. But I didn't realize that they had told um, 
some that what they said was someone they believed to be on my team. They had told someone they believed to be on my team who clearly wasn't because nobody told me and I found out on Twitter. And after after this first came out, there was a little bit of back and forth between you and Amanda Serrano on Twitter. I know that obviously you guys had respect for each other after the fight. Has that situation kind of been cleared up? Are you guys good now? Uh, no, we. you know what? We were never really friends. We just respected each other. And um, I think that the problem there is, and, and it's very true, you know, there's been lots of rumors circulating the Serranos and steroid use. And the truth of the matter is, is if they had come out and it was Amanda that tested positive instead of me, people would have went nuts. Right. So I don't even I, I you know, they may say one thing. Jordan may say, well, I know deep down Jordan does not believe that I use steroids. I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. I think he is just so mad because had it been reversed and and been Amanda, people wouldn't have given her the benefit of the doubt or even allowed this to go to trial. You know what I mean? So as, as much as I want to fire back at them and just be like, yo, what the fuck? You know me all these years. You know me better than that. At the same time, like I can't be, you know, saying nothing because it's true. If it went the other way around, nobody would want to hear what she had to say. They'd be like, nah, you know what I'm saying? Right. So you have the six months now. So what, what is next for you? I mean, obviously you spent time in Bellator um, and boxing. Do you want to go back into boxing? Do you want to go back into MMA? What, what's next for you? Well, I, I want to get through this first. Like, mm-hmm. like we're appealing the suspension. And okay. The we're going to go in and talk to them. and um, Because the bottom line is you can't be – like $10,000 is the max penalty. That's what they're giving guys who fight – Three million, four million, five million dollar fights, and test positive for PEDs. Like, yo, you don't even want to see my prescriptions, hear my story. Like after the after the results came back, I was like, check my blood, send me for a hair follicle test. We'll do it. Like so, you I can prove to you that I have no drugs. And by the time they got back around to it, was too late. Like it, the window had closed. This test should have come back 90, 90 hours after taking it. Mm-hmm. It took them two weeks. I didn't even have no time. Two weeks for the drug test to come back, you know? And I, and I feel like, how are you going to give me the same penalty you're giving somebody who make $7 million and actually tested positive for PEDs? Nobody is accusing me of taking PEDs. I took a prescription that was on the banned list. There's a difference, you know? So you want to present your story to them. You want to kind of go into more detail and hopefully get that fine adjusted so where are you in that process are they willing to to speak with you yeah yeah, yeah. they've been talking to my lawyer and my manager and we've been going back and forth and i mean you know i can understand their stance right like with the state of the way boxing is right now you protection is important right but to use me as a means to show that when like i have all the the stuff you need i mean like I said, the, the New York Athletic Commission has been great and like we're hoping to get this cleared up by this week so let's let's hope that that situation gets resolved quickly so we can see you back in the ring or the cage, whatever it may be. I, I actually was speaking to a good friend of mine, Kella Fasana, who I know has interviewed you a few times, and he said yeah. he feels like you're in an interesting position because of the loss. Uh, it maybe makes other opponents think you're more vulnerable, and now, now they'll be willing to fight you, right? Before this, you were the champion undefeated, so maybe people were kind of uh, a little hesitant. Do, do you feel that way, that maybe now you can get some, some bigger matchups? I'm not I, I'm not saying that anyone was afraid to fight me before. And I don't think I look very vulnerable in that fight. To be honest, in the boxing community, anyone will tell you the hardest person to fight is someone who don't give up. So when you watch me go 10 hard rounds and still be right there fighting one of the, you know, the top elite level fighters, 
I mean, it's really not like any better or worse for me. And I know you said you're going to take some time to think about what you want to do next. Is the, the, is the rematch with Serrano, is that in your mind at all? Or is do you kind of want to move on to other opponents? Or, or are you still kind of thinking about everything? No, I mean, I, I, I got to see what opportunities present itself. I think I'm definitely going to go up uh, maybe a couple weight classes, to be honest with you. It's like 126 is killing me. Um, that's for one. But I, I really haven't given it so, so much thought. And I know that in the past, you know, you've you've missed weight and had to give your entire purse to your opponent. And obviously that you won the fight, but it was still I'm sure that was really tough. And you don't want to have um, that situation happen again. So the, the other question I, of course, have to ask, you're 37 years old. So has retirement at all crept into your mind? Is there any you know thought of the finish line in terms of your fighting career? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um I'm not getting any younger, right? And um, the sport of boxing with the, the state the way it is right now, people dying, um, close, close friends of mine dying, it forced me to take a really hard look at the politics of the sport and what happens to you when you lose that O or when you get to a certain level. Like, you really become bait. And um, I've had 60 stitches in my face. I've had my nose displaced and broken, multiple concussions. At this point in my life, I'm wondering, like, for as much as I do this to fight for my daughter, you know, if God forbid I don't wake up or don't come home for a fight, who's going to knock on my door and take care of my kid and tell my kid that, you know, sorry, we put mommy in a fight that we knew she couldn't win, but she didn't wake up. And I don't know that I'm ready for that. And if you do eventually decide to, to call it a day, have you thought about what your second act would be, you know, training, commentating, um, being involved in the sport, or would you would you kind of do something totally different? No, I love boxing. Boxing saved my life. Like they say that all the time, right? It saves yeah. more lives than it takes. And boxing saved my life. And I love how, because I'm a teacher now, I, t I train students. And I love how I watch boxing change the lives of the girls that I teach and the men that I teach. So I don't know that I'll ever not use that and my knowledge and my experience for that. Like I thought about opening up my own gym, maybe doing like speak, speaking, public speaking, and possibly even managing fighters and thinking about taking it from that side of boxing. And you, you mentioned fighter safety. I've actually been big on fighter safety, especially with all the tragedies that, that we've had. Five boxers this year. There was just an MMA fighter um, that, that, that passed away, a female MMA fighter. Um, and so I've been looking for a change in the culture, um, a lot more research, a lot more education. Um, wh what do you think about fighter safety? How, how can we make our, our sport safer? I think that there has to be more fair matchups, you know, mm -hmm. like things like tune up fights. They're not fair. Right. They're not fair to the person who gets to go in for the tune up fight. Step up fights. Those aren't fair. Like, you look at someone like Clarissa Shields, right? She came in elite level, out of the amateurs, and was like, give me the champions. She didn't do a million tune-up fights to prove to everybody that she was as good as she knew, you know? Lomachenko did the same thing. He came in and, bam, just knew, knowing what his level was. I think that everybody should really be fighting on, on their level or voluntarily graduating from their level and stepping up. You have too many kids whose records are being built to become a B-side fighter. Average boxers who get fed easy opponents, 10, 15 fights, to go in and fight an Olympian for their tune-up fight or their step-up fight. You know, there's boxing, if it's guilty of anything, is selling kids dreams that they know that they can't have. And that's when people die. 
That's when people risk everything because they say, you know what? Maybe I could do it because they believe what they hear. Maybe I can do it and go in there and get their brains bashed in. No, that, that definitely needs to be changed. And also fighter safety is important. I know you've also spoken out about women's fighting versus men's fighting in terms of equality uh, and pay and things like that. What, what would you like to see uh, changed in that arena? Well, how about, you know, for the champions, like, that we get paid enough where, you know, this isn't even our full-time job. People, they hear of, like, names like Heather Hardy, Amanda Serrano, you know, thinking that we have this huge showdown fight. It wasn't even a six-figure fight. Mm -hmm. So while we made the highest, I don't know about her, I made the highest purse of my career. Right. It wasn't even six figures. And that's no one's fault. I mean, that's a tremendous person, women's boxing, what I did receive. But at the same time, this was a million dollars, you know, fight if it was a man, men with our record and our reputation and how we sold out the stadium, right? And did all the media and all the publicity for it. So this, that's what's disappointing. Like so many of us are doing this and we still can't make a living. No, that that definitely needs to be changed. And, and I hope that, that that can happen because there are so many great women's fighters, women's champions, um, and they definitely need to be at the same level as men um and just in terms of your your kind of mental state you know uh, obviously you've been been through a lot to to get here you're you're a survivor of, of sexual assault and then you've you had the great career but then recently lost the mma fight and then now lost the boxing fight how are you doing as as a person mentally are are, are you doing okay overall i'm still a champion i'm still you know light years ahead of wherever i where little heather thought she would be you know, to have seen the things I've seen, gone the places I've gone. I was just packing up my apartment because we have to move soon. And I was looking at all my trophies and all the newspaper articles and the pictures and the gifts I would get from the Barclays Center or the gifts from the garden. And it's like little me never dreamed that I could have seen what I've seen through boxing. So I'll never leave and feel like a loser, even if I never compete and win another fight, even if I leave uh, losing two fights and two sports to end my career. I've still done so many amazing things. No, definitely. And you have achieved a lot in, in boxing and then also stepping into MMA. That, that's really great. Let me ask you this. I know you said your daughter, uh, she never thought you were cool, you know, as a fighter. Has, has your daughter kind of come around? Is she seeing you on the zone and other places? Well, she doesn't think I'm cool still, but she likes me a lot more than her dad. So, <laughs> so that's, that's a good thing. She's like my best friend, you know. Well, that, that's great to hear. And Heather Hardy, I want to thank you so much uh, for the time. Uh, looking forward to getting this situation worked out and, and kind of moving beyond that. And I hope to talk to you soon when you have your next fight uh, set up. So, so best of luck to you. We sure will. Thank you. And that is going to bring us to the end here of another episode of Ask the Experts. I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our show. I want to thank all of my guests, and that is Larry Merchant, Thomas Hauser, Teofimo Lopez, Richard Comey, Mick Conlon, and Heather Hardy. If you like what we are doing, please go on iTunes, uh, search for the show, hit subscribe, give us a five-star review. Also, check out my YouTube page where you can see some video interviews, uh, some of the people you heard from here, some other interviews, and that is youtube.com backslash Curran Bhatia, C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. Please go on there and uh, hit subscribe 
and check out some of the content on there. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, and that is at Karan Bhatia. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter, and that is at A-T-E underscore podcast. If you want to email the show, it is asktheexpertspod at gmail.com. I want to thank all my guests one more time. I want to thank you uh, for listening. We had a great fight last weekend for the heavyweight championship uh, with Anthony Joshua reclaiming those three belts. And this weekend we have some great boxing coming up, uh, including uh, some of the fighters that you heard on this podcast. I hope you are enjoying the show, enjoying what we're doing. If you are, please reach out to me. Please let me know. Uh, give us, Give me some feedback. Tell me who you want to hear from. Um, and so thank you once again. This is Karen Batia signing off for Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Karen Batia.